Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children. Music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. About time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert, 
I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us, as always, rdgable at yahoo.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, and also on Twitter at tst underscore underscore radio. Our archive is on our website, thesecretteachings.info. You can listen to all of the shows, download them, stream them, plug the RSS feed into one of your players, or just search for the show on one of the many radio and podcast players that you already use, and leave us a review. If you haven't done so already, we'd really appreciate that. It lets other people know what you think of the show, and even though we've been around for a long time... I've just started getting into social media more, and I've also just started getting into uh, promoting the show on different platforms. So if you haven't liked us or if you haven't told people about us or commented and let people know what you think of the show, please do that. It doesn't cost you anything except maybe 10, 15 seconds. I'd really, really appreciate it. Also, on our website, www.thesecretteachings.info, you'll find our full show archive without advertisements, our montage archive, digital versions of my books, a private RSS feed, so you don't have to listen to the advertisements, and early access to the show as part of our yearly subscription service. We do have a monthly version and a weekly version. You can find information on that on the website, or you can email me as well. The yearly subscription, we also have a special deal, $40 for one year. You get all of that. And of course, you support this show when you subscribe. You keep us on air. We don't have anybody paying us. We don't have anybody sponsoring us directly to pay us to say certain things. We, we've been totally independent for 10 years, six years professionally. And uh, we're very grateful to be here on Ground Zero Radio Monday through Friday after Clyde from 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific. And it is because of listeners like you who listen, who grab a book, who subscribe, etc., that keep us on air. So I really, really appreciate that sincerely. And uh, I appreciate you all having the having the uh, the respect and uh, I guess mental responsibility to handle the subjects that we talk about on this show. It's probably you know most other places it would be difficult to talk about what we discussed last night, and um, especially when you're not subscribed to one of the standard uh, viewpoints on the world. You know you're either pro this or you're anti that or pro that or anti this and you know that subject of of abortion last night you know it's it's really important to to reinstate that if you're in a place that you don't think you can get an abortion like Arizona you you can still get an abortion in Arizona and people don't understand how the law works nobody's read the law nobody's even read the the decision of the supreme court so everybody just fights and screams and yells and you know, maybe Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is right. Everybody just screams and yells at each other. It's terrible. You know, it's horrible. So I think we can actually apply that same analysis to another subject, which is totally in the other direction. And that is uh, the subject of, of unidentified flying objects. And, and I've noticed that there's a similar pro-anti series of, of parties and points of view in the let's for lack of a better term or phrase let's call it the ufo community where there are certain things that are acceptable to discuss and there are certain things that are not acceptable to discuss and in that quote-unquote community you have uh, 
and I'm, I've read them myself, so I'm not d- demeaning the books, but you've had, you know, holy books, religious books like Chariots of the Gods, for example, or the Earth Chronicles. I, I have I have them. I've read them. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I hold them to be uh, gospel. And it's unfortunate that a lot of the, again, quote unquote, community, UFO community, tends to see those books as gospel and people that write those books, you know, Zachariah Sitchin, Eric Von Daniken, they've almost become, it's more than celebrity, they've almost obtained this godlike status and they're almost like saints. And uh, ufology, I think, has, has really been, I'm not sure if it's a matter of just natural evolution and progression or it's a matter of, uh, you know, a little too much entertainment mixed with uh, reality or I don't know what it is, but it feels like uh, ufology, UFOs, all that stuff. It's, it's just, it's, it's, for me, it's become stale, first of all. But second of all, I think that the whole subject has been turned into a mockery. I really feel that way. I, I just feel like it's, you either have people that want to only discuss Roswell or people that want to dismiss everything as being, well, basically a weather balloon, balloon swamp gas, or maybe it's military flares, you know, and th- that doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't get us anywhere. It's like militant beliefs of, of being a believer or a skeptic. And everybody wants to know what you are. You believe in that or do you not believe in that? Do you believe in UFOs or you don't believe in UFOs? It's like, I, I don't know what UFO are you talking? Are you talking about a specific case? Like I'm, I'm a, I'm an individual who has an ability to think in more complex terms than that. And I don't find those questions to be helpful. I don't find them to be sincere. I, I'd like to have a conversation where if you want to ask me about a certain case, then we'll look at the, the specific case and we'll try to figure out what it is. For example, last night, uh, CBS News, San Diego, and a bunch of others, MSNBC, it's all over the news. About 10 p.m. last night, Floating lights were seen off the coast of San Diego. San Diego police say that they knew what the lights were, though. They told, uh, uh, they told uh, uh, the CBS news outlet that uh, the lights were flares from a military exercise. CBS News reports that Camp Pendleton and Naval Air Station North Island both said they did not know what the lights were, though. So the law enforcement in San Diego said those were lights from a military exercise, but then Camp Pendleton and the Naval Air Station North Island both said that they did not know what the lights were. So is this some form of psych operation? See how the public reacts. Police say that it's one thing. The military denies that it's that thing. Is it a bait and switch? I I, I don't know. But there were, of course... This is a viral thing all over the internet uh, last night and today. These mysterious floating lights caught on camera across San Diego County. And if you watch the video, it, you see these um, you see these lights floating around out there. It's it's like um, it's almost like the the Phoenix lights. It, in in a way, it kind of has that feel to it, and it's it's kind of creepy. It's kind of disturbing. And of course, because we really don't know what it is, the police say it's one thing, the military says it's another thing. We don't really have a straight answer. 
Here's part of that news clip from CBS. Tonight, floating lights off our coast had the phone in our newsroom ringing tonight. People calling in from Chula Vista to Encinitas to talk about those. We just got that video in before 10. We don't know what the lights are. We did talk to Camp Pendleton and NAS North Island. They both tell us that they don't know what they are either. We're working for you to get an answer. When we get one, we will pass it along. So for those of you who haven't seen the video, it looks like Three lights to the north, slightly tilted to the west, and then straight under the third light on the right, you see these two other lights that are more so in a in a sort of in a parallel to the other lights. So it kind of almost looks like three lights on top going one direction, two lights on the bottom going another direction. So the the idea was that these were just military flares, which is exactly what we were told about the about the Phoenix lights, right? Those are just military flares. They're, they're nothing but uh, it's a part of a military operation. So that was back in 1997. And there have been, of course, countless, countless similar videos and photographs of things like this uh, since 1997. It's 2022, so we're, we're way past the Phoenix lights. And again, this is in San Diego. So what the lights are, I don't know. What the lights are, the police say they know, but the military says that's not what they are. And we're left with this, this enduring mystery, again, of, of not really knowing uh, what's going on, uh, not knowing if, uh, I mean, maybe San Diego's under attack like the uh, Battle of Los Angeles. So really, really interesting. If you never heard about that story, what a fascinating story. Um, and of course, they make it into a movie now. So like, if you try to, if you try to look up the story... Um, you always find uh, the movie that, that was made about this like alien invasion. But this was back in 1942. And there's a newspaper, famous newspaper photograph of, of, the, of this raid, raid on Los Angeles or LA Air Raid. They, there's a bunch of different names. Uh, and they just, they rained artillery down over the city. And it caused uh, car accidents, people had heart attacks. I think like five people, maybe half a dozen people died. But you see the, the searchlights on this object in the sky. And it's, I mean, it's, it's very creepy. I, don't, I mean, maybe the photograph then was staged. I, I don't know. That was back in 1942, though. There's, the whole point here is in 1942, you have the, the Battle LA, right? And then you've got Phoenix Lights in 97 and so many different incidences in between. And then just for point of reference, this most recent uh, series of lights off the coast of San Diego last night has a similar Phoenix Lights vibe to it. But you have all these these stories and it's like the 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 subject of UFOs and UAPs is totally centered around this idea of the well, the preliminary assessment on unidentified aerial phenomena from 2021 which described the UAP as clearly posing, quote, a safety of flight issue, end quote. Of course, you know, if there's something in the sky unidentified, it's going to cause, a, it's going to cause a, a safety of flight issue. So these are the things that, that really fascinate me, is that you've got all these stories, and the military, you know, they have documentation going back to the 40s, and even before, you go back to the ghost rockets and things like that, or World War II, the Foo Fighters, and you find that there's literally just almost unlimited information on this. 
And now that the Pentagon has investigated this and Congress wants there, you know, wants there to be further investigation, the public wants there to be further investigation. You've got, you know, Democrats and mostly Democrats with some Republicans that are, you know, promoting the idea that if you vote for me and we'll get UFO disclosure and we'll, we'll make sure we know what those aliens are. and We'll storm Area 51. We'll get all the alien info. It's just a bunch of, you know, cheap political stunts. And, and I find it fascinating because there's so much evidence that clarifies, solidifies, guarantees, proves that these things are not only a safety of flight issue, but that they're not confined to uh to this planet and they might not even be confined to this this physical world uh in terms of how we understand uh, the laws of physics and how we how we understand engineering and aviation and things like that so those things those things are on my mind because of the san diego lights last night and then i was i got home late last night because i went to um i went to an event up in phoenix a friend of mine, listener named Joe, he lives here in Tucson, and we went up to uh, up to Phoenix to uh, uh, just kind of northeast of Phoenix to go to this little event. And we um, were sitting there at the event, and I was I was talking to Joe, and we were talking about you know everything from aliens to whatever. And this thing came up that I haven't talked about on this on this show for a long time. I something I experienced when I, li- I lived in Boise, Idaho, uh, something called the Idaho National Laboratory. The Idaho National Laboratory is uh, southeast of Boise. It's about hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes, something like that outside of Boise. Now, if you don't know about Idaho, Idaho, if you go north of Boise, if you go south of Boise, with the exception of Idaho Falls or Twin Falls, or there's not much in the state of Idaho. It's mostly desert. It's very much like Nevada, just a different kind of desert. So there's, there's this laboratory out there in Idaho. And the Idaho National Laboratory has a very, very fascinating history. And it's one of those things, just like um, how today we'll look at the San Diego lights or we'll look maybe at the Phoenix lights or the maybe the Battle of Los Angeles in 42, but we'll tend to ignore those less than popular stories that populate books and uh, populate even documentaries and populate military archives and records that span back to World War II and even before, where the subject and the topic and the, the witnessing and the, the, the contact with these craft are very well documented, far more well documented than the 144 reports uh, that the United States government is, is looking at with their UAP reports, right? So there's a lot more going on than, than that. And it's the same thing with the International National Laboratory. It's one of those things where you don't hear about it, you don't know about it. You might know about Oak Ridge or Hanford or, I mean, from the Manhattan Project, Los Alamos. But most people do not know about the Idaho National Laboratory. And most people do not know what went on and what continues to go on at the Idaho National Laboratory. So I was talking to my friend Joe at this, at this event up in Phoenix and I thought, I haven't heard of the Idaho National Laboratory for a long time. So I, I got online, and it was really the only thing I read in the news yesterday. And I, I pulled it up, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I haven't heard about this forever, but I typed in Idaho National Laboratory, and I get, I get two stories. Uh, one of them is a two-part story, but I get two stories about the Idaho National Lab. One of them 
is from MSNBC News, July 24th of 2019. So I just, I didn't, I never saw this one. There was a, a fire at the Idaho National Laboratory and they had to evacuate the facility. And uh, they called it the Sheep Fire. It was a wildfire burning in the sagebrush on the grounds of the facility, which prompted an evacuation of essential personnel. And they go on to tell you that the Idaho National Laboratory was founded in 1949 as a nuclear reactor testing station. Now, unless maybe you're like a huge atomic energy, nuclear weapons, post-World War II history buff, which I kind of am, but I, you know, up until about five years ago, I never heard of the Idaho National Laboratory. So I did a lot of research when I first heard about it because what, what happened was I was, I was living in Boise, Idaho, 2015 through 2018, 19. And I drove to, uh, to take a little trip one time because I, I had heard that there was, you know, some cool stuff camping and different things like that out east. And I'm driving out that way. And I, I was, I was going to go to the Craters of the Moon National Monument, which is the closest thing uh, to Boise that most people have ever heard of is the it's Craters of the Moon. It looks like the surface of the moon or some Ridley Scott movie or something like that. It's really cool if you ever get a chance to go out there. So went to this national park and I, I kept driving and I saw a sign for, you know, there's Atomic City and there's um, there's like a museum, an atomic energy museum. And uh, I was I was my interest was peaked up. I was like, what's Atomic City and what's what's all this stuff? I never really heard anything about this. So I uh, I drove out there and I kept going and I started seeing these signs, the INL, 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 Idaho National Laboratory. And so I kept um, I kept going and I eventually got to the Idaho National Laboratory, kind of like a welcome sign or it's not promoted though. It's almost like Area 51 unless you know about it, you know, you don't you don't really you don't think anything of it because you don't know anything about it. So you go out there to Atomic City um, and you go out there and you see the signs for the Idaho National Laboratory. There's there's some stuff around there that's really interesting. Like there's some random signs in the middle of the desert that tell you what they did at the Idaho National Laboratory. And this this all has to do with UFOs, by the way. So I was when I went out there, I was driving around and I was looking at things. And, you know, I learned that Atomic City, you'd imagine by the name, uh, was uh, was once called Midway, and it, it was the world's first electrically generating nuclear power plant. Um, that uh, the the EBR one, the Experimental Breeder Reactor one, that was built next door to it, and uh, it was supposed to power the the city, Atomic City. So that's that's why it gets the name because they built the first. It's the world's first, not just the first in the United States, the world's first electricity-generating nuclear power plant, the EBR-1. So they have these like pamphlets if you stay at one of the small hotels around there. And, uh, you know, there's like little tiny, little tiny museum, which it's always closed when I've been through there. There's, there's just not much, but if you drive out into the desert... You know, you find Atomic City, but then you also find Arco, small town, where in July of seven, uh, 1955, 17, July 17th, you, which is 10 days after the anniversary of Roswell, right, uh, became the world's first city to be powered through nuclear 
energy. So you have Atomic City where they had the first electricity generating nuclear power plant, EBR-1. And then you got Arco, Idaho, 1955, July 17th, the first city powered with nuclear energy. And they have this, they have this like uh, muse, little museum there. So it's a really fascinating history. If you ever get a chance to go out there, I'd highly recommend it. I, I've referred to it before as the Rachel Nevada of Idaho. It's like Arco and Atomic City or Rachel Nevada and the INL is like Area 51. And you go out there and you start to read these signs. They're just kind of randomly in the desert. You can go see the old EBR-1 reactor. And you see these uh, little signs that say like, hey, on this date we did this, on that date we did that. And what did they do? Well, they, they were building nuclear-powered airplanes. They were building nuclear-powered vehicles. For those of you who are video game fans, they were literally building what you see in the video game Fallout. The nuclear-powered cars and the nuclear-powered uh, helicopters and the nuclear-powered jets. That's what was being built out there in the desert of Idaho. Now, I find that utterly fascinating because it's, a, a, it's just a, an unbelievable history that you don't hear about it. What you also might not know is Idaho is statistically, um, I guess depending on what stat you look at, they have a small population, of course, compared to some states. But Idaho has the highest uh, per capita rate of UFO sightings. And I find that to be interesting because if you look at the history of UFOs, they seem to be attracted to atomic bombs. They seem to be attracted to ICBM missile tests, nuclear missile facilities. They tend to be attracted to warfare, to conflict. Maybe they're monitoring it. Maybe they're feeding off the radiation like Godzilla. Or it could be something totally different, something we don't understand, something maybe we'll never understand. But what we do know is that places like the Idaho National Laboratory have an unbelievable history in atomic energy and some people, like myself, believe that there might be a connection between events like Roswell and other subsequent UFO sightings and uh, quote-unquote crashes and the detonation of atomic weapons in the 1940s. And now the Idaho National Laboratory is building tiny nuclear reactors. Idaho has the highest per capita UFO sighting rate in the country. And I find that it all sort of comes together in, a, in an eerie way that indicates that there, there's something important there at INL because we don't, we don't really hear about it from anybody. I've never talked to anybody who's ever even heard of INL, and they have this, this fascinating history, and I want to share some of that with you tonight on The Secret Teachings. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, I'm Ryan Gable. After this break, we'll come back. We'll get into this really, really unbelievable history right here on The Secret Teachings. Stay with us. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. This is David Icke from davidike.com, author of The Phantom Self and The Perception Deception. And you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. From ground zero to The Secret Teachings. Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. 
I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. If you enjoy the secret teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Brian Gable. Welcome back to the Secret Teachings Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're ever in the state of Idaho, you ever get a chance to go to the Craters of the Moon National Monument. It's a really, really interesting trip if you drive out there in the desert. I always find the desert to be very magical. And as you're driving across the desert, you get out to the Craters of the Moon National Monument and you find you're in a whole other world. It's almost like you're on the surface of the moon. And you can walk out there in little mountains and you can see the, uh, or volca- you know, vol- the volcanic uh, material come up out of the ground hardened over time, just a few thousand years ago, relatively recent in geological terms. And uh, it's, it's like being in a whole other world. And then you keep driving. And if you keep driving east of that, uh, that national monument, you find that there's a laboratory out in the middle of the desert that seems harmless, just kind of seems random, never heard about it, never never seen it in a documentary or heard about it in UFO lore or anything like that. But I first drove out there years ago, and I came across the INL, the Idaho National Laboratory. I was talking to a friend about it yesterday, and I 
asked him if he ever heard of the INL. I've asked a lot of people this in radio, and I've never had anybody tell me, yes, I've, I've heard of the Idaho National Laboratory. I mean, maybe they assume like it's a national laboratory so that they know what that is, but not that there's one in Idaho. And not that there's one with uh, this, this history of, of uh, well, both atomic energy and UFOs. We know about Oak Ridge, we know about Los Alamos, we know about Hanford, but a lot of people don't know about INL. So not to sit here and lecture you with, uh, with a history lesson, but I think that you should know for, um, for the sake of argument that if you go out to the Idaho National Lab area where the Craters of the Moon is, you find Arco, Idaho, the first town in human history to be powered by nuclear energy, July 17th, 1955. You find Atomic City, where they built the first electricity-generating nuclear power plant. That was all done in Idaho. You'll also find that the Idaho National Laboratory built the cars from the video game Fallout. They built, or tried to build, nuclear-powered cars and nuclear-powered airplanes. They have a little monument slash... um, I don't know what it is. It's kind of like a kind of like a monument, kind of like a little. It's like they have like part of an engine they had built or something like that out there, uh, left over in the desert. Something they had constructed years ago, and uh, this this is um, something that isn't promoted. But if you, you just go down like a back dirt road, there's like a random sign. They're like, oh yeah, by the way, here and this year we built nuclear powered planes, or this was the site of the the, the largest non nuclear explosion. I read that and I was like, that's never heard that before. All that was done in Idaho, radiation experiments. I mean, even things from some of the national laboratories from the Manhattan Project, a lot of that um, material uh, where, you know, uh, uh, the nuclear material was taken to to decay, was taken up there to the Idaho National Laboratory. So I was talking to my friend about this yesterday and I thought I haven't heard about it in the news uh, forever. There have been a couple stories here or there over the years about what was going on at INL because of radiation issues and the water supply even as far west as Boise. And I came across an article about the United States government working to build tiny nuclear reactors. And these tiny nuclear reactors, they're called the Micro-Reactor Applications Research Validation and Evaluation and they want to have these things operating by 2023. Now, the micro-reactor applications research validation and evaluation is referred to as the Marvel micro-reactors. And they're supposed to be a key component of clean energy going along with things like wind and battery storage. And it's supposed to be because of global warming and it's supposed to be because of climate change that they're building these things. But what I found really interesting was that they called the reactors Marvel reactors. Now, I don't know about you, but I saw Doctor Strange. I have not seen the No Way Home Spider-Man movie, but... I saw the Eternals. These, these are all Marvel movies. And, you know, Marvel and DC, a lot of Marvel, I think, more than DC, they've been playing around with the theme of, of um, multiple dimensions, other worlds, etc. for a very, very, very long time. Comic books and now in the movies. Uh, we talked about the Watchmen, right? The Watchmen 
uh, comic book and how the original Watchmen had a, a portal opening up in New York and some octopus-like Cthulhu-like creature coming through it. And eventually, you know, they turned that into an atomic uh, bomb blast. But if you look at the history of atomic energy and nuclear weapons testing, you find that there is a fascination that unidentified flying objects have with those tests that unidentified flying objects have with those with those um, those nuclear bombs detonating and with just warfare in in general if you go back into the history of these things you'll find US Air Force and other reports that document these these cases and that really have nothing to do with the UAP assessment from the Pentagon. And this is, this is what really intrigues me. The, the preliminary assessment on unidentified aerial phenomena, they looked at 144 reports originating from government sources. 80, they said, involved observations with multiple sensors. So they were able to, they had multiple devices that were monitoring and picking up these, these craft. They say that most of the reports described UAP as objects that interrupted pre-planned training or other military activity which would obviously indicate some pre-knowledge of these activities, which, of course, creates a concern for national security. Now, if you look at the report and you, and you read through this thing, it doesn't really tell us anything that we didn't know. It doesn't really tell us anything that, if you've read about UFOs before, that you, you at least didn't speculate on, let alone probably have, have read before. But none of that information is new in this report. And, and much like... Uh, the, 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 quote, challenge to U.S. national security that the report says these craft imply and impose, uh, the UFO, the UAP, and their activities are really downplayed in comparison with historical reports from the military itself. Let me take you back to 1943. In 1943, in May... The U.S. Army Air Force 348th Group bombers reported a cluster of disks during a raid on Germany. According to an intelligence report on the mission, disks were described as silver-colored, one inch thick, and three inches in diameter. They were gliding slowly down in very uniform cluster. The AC-026 was unable to avoid them, and his right wing went directly through a cluster with absolutely no effect on engines or plane surface. One of the discs was heard striking the tail assembly, but no explosion was observed. This was a U.S. Air Force, a U.S. Army Air Force report from Schweinfurt, Germany in 1943. It's not even a German report. It's a U.S. Army Air Force report. Two other AC aircraft also threw, uh, flew through these silver disks with no apparent damage, according to the report. And that kind of sounds like these, these disks that were reported in, in Germany in 1943 were very much like the ghost rockets in the sense that they were, maybe they were mere apparitions and not actual physical phenomena. Now, about a year after that, in 1944, a UFO came down over a naval air station in Hawaii. It was reported by a construction engineer with Headquarters Company 112, U.S. Navy Seabees. The report described the object as silver, pockmarked, and with a, quote, transparent dome containing a gold-colored device which spun at various speeds. 
Another year after that, in 1945, two young boys at the uh, Padilla Ranch near San Antonio, New Mexico, reported a brilliant light followed by a crunching sound. Upon investigation, as detailed uh, in the book by Timothy Good, they found, quote, a long gouge in the earth at the end of which lay a dull gray avocado-shaped craft with a protuberance toward one end, which could be seen through the smoke from its burning wreckage. Pieces of what they called the, quote, shiny tinfoil-like metal, end quote, were reported scattered near the crash site. This was in San Antonio, New Mexico in 1945, of course, predating the modern narrative around ufology beginning at Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. And that material, of course, was described as very similar to what was discovered in 1945. Seven, wherein the metal was said to be flexible and able to be wrinkled with no permanent alteration of the material. So these are just three cases going back to the 1940s prior to Roswell that we find from 44, uh, 1944, 1943, 1944, 1945 cases of UFOs, discs, shiny metallic uh, substance, and all of it's really the, the basis for the Roswell story. And then we have Roswell in 47. We're, we're coming up on the anniversary of that. And you just don't hear about these other stories. I'm not saying Roswell's not important. I'm not saying Roswell's not interesting. It is. It's just there's so much more. And what's happening today with what we call disclosure is really not providing us with not only things that we, we didn't already know, it's not providing us with any clear answers that we didn't already speculate upon. Of course, those craft provide a, a threat to national security and, and aircraft. We've known that since World War II. So why is that some fascinating revelation? I, I don't understand. We act like this is the first time the government has investigated UFOs. It's not. Project Sign, which was set up by the Secretary of Defense, James Forstall, initially as an Air Force project uh, called Saucer, ran through 1948 and is now known to be the first official U.S. Air Force investigation into the nature and substance of the UFO UAP. That was back in the 1940s. Project Grudge, another project, was operating shortly after uh, the project that was called Sign shut down. It, basically, it ran into Grudge. And that ran through 1949, although it essentially proceeded until probably sometime around late 1951 or early 1952 when the famous Project Blue Book was initiated. Now, the aim of that project, of course, was to investigate the reality of the UFO UAP more publicly and to determine if they posed a threat to national security. So, contrary to the idea that, oh, the government's interested, they're going to study UFOs, they've been studying UFOs since at least the mid-1940s. Project Sign, Project Grudge, Project Blue Book, and so many others. Project Blue Book was commissioned to determine if those things posed a threat to national security, which is precisely what the so-called UAP report is supposedly, I say supposedly because I, I don't know, but it's supposedly uh, determined in their, in their investigations. Project Blue Book was stationed as a group outside of uh, the infamous Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, some of the debris from Roswell was supposedly taken there. And operating from 1952 until 1969, so over two decades, Blue Book was an extension of Sign and Grudge, 
determining that roughly 10% of reports were truly legitimate. So this is back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s into the 70s. Project Blue Book determined that 10% of the sightings were legitimate. They could not identify them. That's a long time before the UAP report. Now, the Canadian government also established their first secret committee to investigate these UAPs in 1950. They codenamed that project Magnet, was headed by a guy named Wilbert Smith. The same year, the UK's minister, uh, ministry, Minister of Defense, established an official study on UFOs called Flying Saucer Working Party, or the FSWP. Having studied the uh, numerous reports from the UFO UAP uh, work of, of the American government, the UK government consulted with, as a result of having compared notes, they, they ended up consulting with the CIA and the U.S. Air Force uh, as part of Project Grudge. So 1943, 1944, 1945, you've got these incredible cases of uh, UFOs, UAPs, whatever you want to call them, that were intruding on military operations uh, from Germany to Hawaii uh, to a few boys out in New Mexico finding this this object where they have a, quote, shiny tinfoil-like material that's found that basically mimics what would be found in 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico. Very similar stuff. Maybe that was a weather balloon. Could have been a weather balloon. But the point is... There are reports that go back to the early 40s, even before with Foo Fighters and Ghost Rockets, reports of these craft, flying discs, etc. And we just, we just don't hear about this kind of thing. We don't, it's like, it's like it doesn't matter or something. Or, you know, unless you talk to a, a really good researcher like, you know, the former Jim Mars or people like Timothy Good, or there just really isn't a lot of investigation into this because most, I would call them modern ufologists, they just repeat the same exact stories over and over and over again. It's Roswell, Roswell. Ro- I, I, like we know about Roswell. How about something new? Roswell. I, I know about Roswell, but I, I would like something new. It's like my, my son, um, when he would come over uh, to, to, to visit, he'd want to watch like Bob the Builder. And I'd say, no, you gotta, we, we gotta, we're going to go outside. And he loved going outside, but sometimes he wanted to watch Bob the Builder. And, and I'd let him watch it, but we'd go outside and just take a, take a walk in the wagon or something. I'd say, we're going to go outside first, have a snack, and then and we can watch Bob. He's, he, he'd be like, no, Bob. I'd be like, no, we're going to take a walk. Bob, no, we're going to take a walk, Fox. We're going to go take a walk. And he's just like, Bob. He's just, he didn't understand. And that's what it's like with Roswell. It's like, well, how about these other cases that the military's documented for a lot longer than, you know, years before Roswell? They're like, Roswell. Well, there's other things, though. Roswell. Well, even Roswell wasn't a singular incident. It was a series of incidences. So Roswell's a plural thing. So I, I, you know, I, I look into all this and I start thinking, if you look at the, uh, the history of ufology, most of it starts in the Pacific Northwest with Kenneth Arnold, who was a, a resident of Boise, Idaho. June 24th, 1947, Kenneth Arnold, deputy federal marshal, pilot, businessman, with a member of the Idaho Search and Rescue uh, Percy Flyers, was flying home when he was he was uh, engaged in a, uh, a search for a transport plane that was believed to have crashed in the Cascade Mountains. Around 2 p.m., 
at an altitude of over 9,000 feet, he saw these bright flashes of light of aircraft in the distance. And he saw flashes of light that drew his attention toward Mount Rainier. And what he found was basically a flying formation of objects. And here's what he said. I observed far to my left and to the north a formation of very bright objects coming from the vicinity of Mount Baker, flying very close to the mountaintops and traveling at a tremendous speed. Kenneth Arnold, um, he clocked the speed of the objects to 1,700 miles per hour, twice the speed of sound. No aircraft at the time could fly that quick. And upon landing in Pendleton, Oregon, he spoke with, uh, with a member of the press from the East Oregonian newspaper, and he reported that the objects, quote, flew like a saucer would if you skipped it across the water, end quote. So the newspaper along with the Associated Press and others, picked up the, the story and the comment that the objects were, quote, saucer-like, and then they spread that uh, terminology and created what we know as the flying saucer. So the flying saucer comes from Kenneth Arnold, a native of Boise, Idaho, and it's the Pacific Northwest originating in Boise, Idaho, going to the, the Northwest, where a lot of the modern lore about UFOs come from. And uh, Kenneth Arnold's, um, his trip, June 24th, 1947, just past the anniversary of that uh, a few days ago. Of course, there's also, and this is a very well-known story in uh, modern UFO mythology, uh, the Mari Island incident, June 21st, summer solstice. So the beginning of the summer solstice into the summer right now is the is the the origin of modern ufology from Kenneth Arnold to Murray Island three days before and of course the same year as Roswell just a few days before Roswell uh, and you know the, the, it occurred in Washington State Murray Island and Washington State's Puget Sound so I mean this is all the Pacific Northwest Washington State Boise Idaho uh, uh, Oregon this is where modern ufology essentially originated from and modern ufo reports uap reports in regards to being threats to national security and perhaps damaging uh damaging military craft or even engaging with military craft at one point the military uh, had instructed their 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 pilots to engage these craft and planes disappeared uh, just totally disappeared the things would vanish there's a wild story of a pilot who was flying engaging a craft and the craft I guess, engaged him in, in response and dissolved his entire plane. And he ends up just basically, I don't know if the guy survived, but they, the plane basically dissolved around him with a beam of light and then he's just left in the air falling. It's Maybe that's true, maybe it's not true. But again, the point is, these stories go back to the early 40s. They go back further with Foo Fighters and with Ghost Rockets. And the stories of... Modern ufology and, and the flying saucer, you know, Mari Island, uh, uh, the Kenneth Arnold from Boise, Idaho, and then, of course, uh, uh, the, the mountains, Mount Baker, Mount Rainier, and, and Oregon and Washington State. And all that's in the Pacific Northwest, and that is precisely up there in the Pacific Northwest, but, you know, admittedly far more east than the Pacific Northwest specifically, is where you get the Idaho National Laboratory, which was a hub they were founded in 1949 as a nuclear reactor testing station. 
And this is where, right there, right next to the Idaho National Laboratory, you had the atomic city, first electricity-generating nuclear power plant, and then you had the first nuclear-powered city called Arco, July 17th of 1955. So that was a few years later. So just right around the time of Roswell, creation of this laboratory out in Idaho, and this Idaho National Laboratory built the first nuclear reactor. They powered the first city with a nuclear energy. And now they're in the news again because they're creating what is called a Marvel micro-reactor. They call it the Micro-Reactor Applications Research Validation and Evaluation, a program they want active by 2023. They want these tiny nuclear reactors. Now, it's not just building them for green energy, according to the one article I found on the subject from CNBC. It's also the Idaho National Laboratory, which announced a week ago, June 21st, 2022, that Battelle Energy Alliance, contractor for the U.S. Department of Energy's Idaho National Laboratory, and NASA have selected proposals to design a fission surface power system for lunar power applications. So they announced on the 15th that they are building Marvel reactors to to provide clean energy. And then six days later, which was seven days prior to today, so last Tuesday, last week, 2022, June 21st, the INL published a press release wherein their their contractor, uh, Battelle Energy Alliance, made a deal with NASA to build fission-powered devices for lunar applications. And I guess they're they're involved, I mean, they're involved with all kinds of companies. Some of the companies working on this, I, I guess, are going to be Westinghouse, uh, Aerojet, uh, Rocketdyne, uh, Lockheed Martin, and, uh, and a number of others, uh, Boeing and, and, and some others. So my thought process is this. I think as we approach Roswell, the origin of, of modern ufology as we know it starts not at Roswell. Uh, it actually starts further back than that, a couple weeks back than that. It starts at Mari Island. It starts with Kenneth Arnold. And it starts with um, the flying saucer. And then we have Roswell. But go, go, if you go back further than that, you also have uh, cases in Germany, cases in Hawaii of these objects. Some of them disc-shaped, some of them very strange, transparent domes with gold, a gold-colored device spinning at different speeds inside the craft. And these are reported by the U.S. Army Air Force going back years before Kenneth Arnold. So when we look at the modern stories of UFOs and UAPs and all this stuff, it's, this is not only not new. What the military, what the Pentagon is reporting is actually really old. It's really stale. And you have to wonder, why is this, why is this where we're getting our information from? And then they're like, well, we, we, we're studying this now. Well, they've been studying it since the late 1940s, Project Sign, Project Grudge, even the famous Project Blue Book. So you put all this stuff together, at least I do, and I start to think, why have we never heard about a lot of this other stuff? Why is it now we're hearing about disclosure and we're hearing, oh, the government's going to investigate it? And likewise, why have we never heard about the Idaho National Laboratory? Why have we never heard about what they did out there, radiation experiments, uh, non-nuclear bomb testing, and of course, nuclear reactors? They built dozens of them. 
And why do we not hear that Idaho is is basically home to the flying saucer and it's home to the highest per capita rate of UFO sightings and most of this stuff began in the Pacific Northwest? We don't hear a lot about that. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings and we're going to try to figure out why that is when we come back from break. www.thesecretteachings.info rdgable at yahoo.com is the email. Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, right after Ground Zero and Clyde Lewis. I'm Ryan Gable. That's where you can find the secret teachings. Stay with us. Want to hear more of the Secret Teachings radio show? Search for the show on any radio or podcast player or find links and a free archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you want to get rid of those annoying ads and get extra perks like access to the montage archive, digital copies of Ryan's books, and early access to the show, then subscribe to the full show archive at thesecretteachings.info. Visit the website and click the button that says subscribe. You can do so monthly, yearly, or through a one-time donation. Your support always keeps the secret teachings on the air. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info this is linda godfrey author of monsters among us and you are listening to the secret teachings with ryan gable broadcasting from somewhere between heaven hell and purgatory it's the secret teachings on ground zero radio release the kraken you could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. Just visit thesecretteachings.info. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. 
and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable. Think about your hero when you're at ground zero and call out to the fallout back to me. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero Radio. This is Earth. We will build the ultimate weapon. And their stuff will be our stuff. You've forgotten, but there's an alien battle cruiser about to... There's always an alien battle cruiser or a Karelian death ray or an intergalactic plague that's about to wipe out life on this miserable little planet. The only way these people get on with their happy lives is they do not know about it. Now sci-fi becoming reality with the formation of a permanent government office tasked with investigating unidentified aerial phenomena, also known as UFOs. They're here, aren't they? They've been here for a long, long time. The answer to this question will have huge implications for the future of humanity. At any given time, there are around 1,500 aliens on the planet. That's what I call a close encounter. And the next enemy was asteroids. Now, at this point, he kind of chuckled the first time he said it. Asteroids against asteroids were going to build space-based weapons. So it was funny then. And the funniest one of all was against what he called aliens, extraterrestrials. That would be the final card. And over and over and over, during the four years that I knew him and was giving his speeches for him, he would bring up that last card. And remember, Carol, the last card is the alien card. We're going to have to build space-based weapons against aliens. And all of it, he said, is a lie. In the event of, say, a full-scale alien invasion... There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the SA. My God. How prepared do you think this planet's defenses would be? Tell me. Just doom. 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 They've been here for a long, long time. Welcome back to the Secret Teachings radio broadcast... I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. In the archive, groundzero.radio. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com, thesecretteachings.info, our full show archive. You can subscribe to the archive to get access to the shows, the montages, the one that you just heard you can listen and download all of that with your subscription. It's $40 for one year. You get access to all of that, plus a private RSS feed and early access to the show. Visit the website, subscribe today. It's really easy. You just donate $40 for the year, or there's options for weeks or for months that are reoccurring. And it's all done on our website. Very simple, very straightforward, very antiquated intentionally. And uh, that's that's the, uh, the the way that you can access uh, all that content. Plus, you get access to my books, and you support the show and keep us on air Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, after Clyde Lewis and Ground Zero. Again, if you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com, and I'm encouraging you to use that email so that you can send me your opinion on tonight's broadcast. Because I want to know what you think as we approach Roswell, the anniversary of what we're discussing tonight, I want to know, have you heard of the Idaho National Laboratory? Have you ever considered or ever thought that aliens, UFOs, they're not down there at Roswell. They're not down there at Area 51. 
But the origin of this stuff comes from the Pacific Northwest. The origin of this stuff dates back way before the 2017 New York Times report. It dates back way before Louis Elizondo. It dates back way before the naval incursions, way before the Tic Tacs. And likewise, the government's interest in these things dates back way before any of this stuff. 1943, 1944, 1945, all cases, documented cases of strange occurrences, strange sightings, strange interactions with these types of craft. The 1943 Schweinfurt, Germany, U.S. Air Force, U.S. Army Air Force, 348th Group bombers reported a cluster of discs when they were uh, exercising a raid on Schweinfurt, and uh, they went. They, one of the planes flew through the discs, was not damaged though, but there were things there in the sky. Two other aircraft also flew through the the discs with no damage. A year later, a UFO was reported at a naval air station in Hawaii. It's considered um, had this like weird transparent dome with a. Gold. This is this is a quote from the military. A gold-colored device which spun at various speeds inside of the craft. They could see it was transparent. And then, of course, another year later, I think this should be a more famous story. The Padilla Ranch near San Antonio, New Mexico. Bright light crashes to the ground. A couple kids go out. They find um, this big gouge in the earth. They find this avocado-shaped craft. And they said there were pieces of tiny tinfoil-like material. Now, this was two years before Roswell. Tiny little shreds of shiny tinfoil-like material. This is in 1945. Very similar to supposedly what was found at Roswell in 1947. And of course, Roswell itself was a series of, of different incidents. So 1943, you've got cases that go back that far. Even the Foo Fighters and the Ghost Rockets go back further than that during World War II. And then the military, the Pentagon, Congress act like this is the first time the government has investigated this stuff. Project Sign, set up by the Secretary of Defense back in the mid-1940s, ran through 48, then it merged into something called Project Grudge, which ran until 49, which then basically proceeded uh, until the 50s when uh, Project Blue Book was initiated. And uh, that was run out of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Blue Book decided, the conclusion was that only 10% of the reports were unexplained, but 10% of the reports being unexplained officially by the military is a large number of reports. 10% is, I would imagine, of the hundreds of thousands of cases they looked at, way more than the 144 reports that were looked at by the by the UAP investigation. You see, it's like, oh, we're going to investigate UFOs now. Oh, 144 cases we looked at. Oh, it was definitely a threat to national security. It's like they were doing that in the 40s. They knew it was a threat to national security. The Air Force had a policy: engage the craft. They didn't know what they were. They didn't know if they were if they were German, if they were Russian. God knows what they were. Who knows what they were? Nobody knows. So they acknowledge 10% of the reports are real. We can't identify them. We don't know what they are. So the military not only has a record of this going back to the 40s and before, they've got a record of investigating these things going back to the 40s. A long time ago, 
And we play around and, you know, poke fun at, well, that's a UAP now, not a UFO. But it's like, I, I think that the terminology is important, first of all, because if they're, they're making it a UAP now, so it's a UFO and a flying disc, none of that history matters anymore. And it's important to know that history. It's important to know the Murray Island incident, very famous incident, in June of 1947. The anniversary of it was a week ago today when uh, you, uh, you had this, this craft uh, basically... I, it's like, I guess it exploded or something. And um, then all the parts rained down uh, on this uh, on this body of water. It's the uh, Washington State uh, Puget Sound. Harbor Patrolman Harold Dahl reported uh, this this craft. He was there with his teenage son, uh, two crewmen, and a, and a dog. And this craft came up. He, they estimated 2,000 feet above them. Five, five or six of the craft circled a, a central object. But then just three days later, you got this story of Kenneth Arnold on June 24th, 1947. And he's from Boise, Idaho, and he goes out flying this plane and he ends up tracking this uh, this lost aircraft for the Marines. And he comes across what he described as, well, discs skipping across water which uh, a local Oregon newspaper called Flying Discs, and the AP picked it up, and that became the Flying Disc. And then conveniently, conveniently, we have Roswell just a few days later. But not only do these reports go back into the 40s and before, the investigations go back into the 40s and before, and then the cases of, of modern ufology, of course, the, the famous ones go back to the 1940s. And it's all centered around Washington State, Oregon, and Idaho. Idaho also, even though they have a smaller population, Idaho has the highest per capita, highest per capita rate of UFO sightings in the United States. Idaho is also home to the Idaho National Laboratory, which is the father and the mother of modern atomic energy. The Idaho National Laboratory built the first electricity-generating nuclear power plant, a place called Atomic City, the EBR-1. And in July 17, 1955, Arco, Idaho, became the first city or town in the world to be powered by nuclear energy. And of course, up there in the Pacific Northwest, you have the Hanford site, part of the Manhattan Project, and a lot of the nuclear material from Hanford was taken and dumped in Idaho at the Idaho National Laboratory. They still have some very serious radiation problems in the water and, uh, well, in the surrounding uh, grounds and animals and plants and things like that have been affected by it. They've also done a lot of weird radiation experiments out there at the Idaho National Laboratory as well. So this is... This is all happening in that part of the country, and it's something that isn't generally spoken about in, in UFO you know, circles. And, of course, Idaho has the highest per capita uh, sightings for UFOs. And I, I always wondered why. Why is that? And then I found out about the Idaho National Laboratory, because I lived in Idaho, and I realized, well, that's probably, that's probably what it is. It's probably the, the, the laboratory. It's probably the, the nuclear testing that they've, that they've done up there. 
Yeah, we have Oak Ridge National Laboratory, right? Oak Ridge National Laboratory, one of three primary sites for the Manhattan Project, which included Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. Cases of UFOs going back to the 40s. The uh, case of San Antonio, New Mexico, and the case of Roswell, New Mexico, of course. And Hanford, Washington, where they had a lot of the nuclear material that they ended up dumping in the Idaho National Lab. And then Oak Ridge in, in Tennessee. Now, the idea is that nuclear energy, nuclear technology, things of this sort, it's, it's, very, it's attractive to UFOs for some reason. Maybe they're concerned or something. They're, they're interested in these in these things. In early March of 1949, a nuclear weapons storage site inside Camp Hood, Texas, was intruded upon by unknown aerial objects. This is back in 1949. One intelligence report dated May 12, 1949, revealed U.S. Air Force concerns over unidentified aerial phenomena that have been observed. That's a quote, unidentified aerial phenomena that have been observed, end quote, and investigated at Los Alamos and Sandia Base, New Mexico. So, these laboratories, where the Manhattan Project was, was run out of, these laboratories were also intruded upon by these unidentified aerial phenomenon or aerial phenomena or these unidentified flying objects. Los Alamos was intruded upon by these UFOs. Now, those concerns were exacerbated considering the sensitive nuclear nature of these facilities. These UFOs weren't just over standard military bases. They were over nuclear facilities. In 1973, many years later, U.S. Air Force security at Kirkland Air Force Base, East New Mexico, witnessed a large glowing object hovering over their inspection facility for nuclear weapons. This was the area of the Sandia National Laboratories. A couple observed another object in 1947 just north of, the, uh, of that facility. A month later, this area was the scene of a possible crash, and in 1980, several cases involved landings of unknown craft in Coyote Canyon, part of the large and restricted test range used by the Air Force Defense Nuclear Agency and the Department of Energy. Of course, the most famous of these locations is certainly Los Alamos, once the Los Alamos Atomic Energy Commission facility, from which a second laboratory was formed under the uh, direction of uh, UC Berkeley, known as Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Having been one of the cornerstones of the U.S. atomic bomb program, it is very safe to say, I think, that the observations of sensitive and secretive installations by unidentified aircraft was a very, very major threat to national security. It's been a major threat to national security for decades. But this didn't just happen in the United States. The Soviet Union tested their first atomic bomb, codenamed First Lightning, in 1949. And it's speculated that during that bomb test that there were also, and there are stories, I can't verify them, that there were objects that uh, monitored that test. A couple of years later, November 1952, the world's first thermonuclear weapons test was carried out by the U.S. government. Codename Mike, the hydrogen bomb, was detonated. Uh, and uh, in the, it was in the Marshall Islands, of course. And this bomb was massive, massive, massive bomb. And that was the one where they thought maybe it would light the atmosphere on fire. And, you know, the, the, the detonation of larger and larger and larger bombs created this arms race. And that led to an increase in the sightings and intrusions 
by UFOs and UAPs. So much so that they began to interfere in dummy testing where there, there wasn't even a nuclear weapon. There wasn't even an atomic bomb. There wasn't even something that, that could have been you know, dangerous. Uh, 1964, Vandenberg Air Force Base in California, probably one of the best pieces of proof of some otherworldly intervention into human affairs, particularly those of an atomic nature, is the location of an ICBM missile test which was sabotaged by a disc-shaped craft. Robert Jacobs, who set up a telescope video camera to capture the Atlas rocket test that day, claims that as the intercontinental ballistic missile climbed thousands of feet, traveling at over 18,000 miles an hour, a disc-shaped craft flew beside the rocket, circled it, and shot it with a beam of light, or something akin to light. In Jacobs' own words, quote, it went around the top of the warhead, fired a beam of light down on the top of the warhead, then flew out of the frame the same way it had come in. Of course, the video was confiscated immediately by the Central Intelligence Agency. Now, Jacobs, an officer in charge of photo-optical instrumentation in the 1369th Photographic Squadron at Vandenberg Air Force Base, was ordered by his superior, Major Florence J. Mansman, to watch the video of that missile test after which he described what he saw on the screen as the most remarkable vision of my life, quote, unquote. Another object flew into the frame from left to right. It approached the warhead package and maneuvered around it. So th this was documented by the military. And Major Florence Mansman later uh, acknowledged that uh, the thing was was not made up. It was not, you know, staged. Sightings of these UFOs, UAP reports, have been documented during ICBM missile tests. They've been uh, documented um, all throughout, uh, it was like 1960s, uh, uh, 1970s. The, the cases are, are, they're all over the place. And they've, they've caught these things tracking uh, NASA rockets, uh, Cape Canaveral, They've uh, found these UFOs tracking, uh, you know, planes and, and not just not just atomic weapons or ICBM missiles or something like that. And this stuff's been going on for a very, 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 very long time. And all of it is is wrapped up in this this really interesting history, but we don't we don't really know a lot about it. And but we do know whether it's the the, the October 1968 case of Minot Air Force Base which really was a, um, uh, one of the most famous cases probably where a 20-ton concrete lid was removed from a missile silo. A uh, co-pilot for a B-52H bomber said, quote, I was told that a 20-ton concrete lid had been removed from a missile silo and both outer and inner alarms had been activated, end quote. This, uh, this happened at ICBM missile uh, bases. It happened uh, across the world in the UK. Uh, of course, the famous Rendlesham Forest incident took place there. It happened in the Soviet Union. Anywhere there were nuclear bombs, anywhere there were nuclear weapons, and these things, these things targeted them, these things followed them, these things monitored them, these things deactivated them or activated them, uh, actively intruded upon the base, disturbed the base, removed the lids of the, of the containment uh, facilities. 
all well documented if you put all this together. So you basically have a history of this going back to the 30s and 40s and, and arguably even before, but we have planes that get up there and we start to see things. We have nuclear bombs, nuclear weapons, so things start to be apparently attracted to them. The military, the government has investigated this since Project Sign. Canada's government, the UK's government investigated this. They, the UK government had, had worked with the CIA and with the US military. You had the Murray Island incident in June of 1947. A couple of days later, you had Kenneth Arnold from Boise, Idaho, flying to Pendleton, Oregon. And uh, you have, of course, uh, UFOs are, are cited uh, the highest rate statistically per capita for a citizenry in Idaho. A lot of this stuff started up there. And then in Idaho, you have the Idaho National Laboratory, which built the first, they called it the EBR-1. They built the first electricity-generating nuclear power plant. And then they went on to power Arco, Idaho, in 1955, the first nuclear-powered city. So they dealt with nuclear energy out there, and this became a hub of UFO sightings. And the Idaho National Laboratory also detonated massive bombs without, they weren't nuclear, they were the, the largest non-nuclear bomb at the time was detonated at the Idaho National Laboratory. And uh, those uh, bombs, maybe they might have included some form of radiation because they were doing radiation tests out there. They were doing all sorts of things with, with nuclear energy. And now they're being contracted by NASA through Battelle Energy Alliance, which is a contractor for the U.S. Department of Energy, and uh, specifically for the INL, they've been contracted by NASA to build a fission surface power system for lunar power applications. That's a press release from June 21st from the INL. But only a few days before, CNBC reported, one of the only articles I can find on it, inside the U.S. government project to create tiny nuclear reactors like batteries, they say they're creating them at the INL for things like um, green energy. But what piqued my interest when I read this is that they're calling the reactors micro-reactor applications, research, validation, and evaluation, or Marvel. They're calling them Marvel. Now, for those of you who enjoy synchronicity and synchromysticism and what could be termed um, synchro-occult subjects, I find it interesting because Marvel is the comic book company behind, you know, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange. And, you know, for, for years, of course, comics have been dealing with the subjects. But now the public in, in mass and, and large has seen these movies where you're, you're witnessing, you know, possession and dreamwalking. But you're, you're witnessing the opening of portals, gateways to other, other worlds, other dimensions. Villains hunting down children to take their energy, to take their power. You're witnessing uh, the emergence of these, mon these monstrous, enormous beings from inside of, of the earth, uh, synthetic artificial intelligence, you know, the, the Eternals. You, know, you probably know the story better than me. I, I don't really know a ton about comics, but I, I, can, I can see the comparison between the multiverse of madness and the Idaho National Laboratory building, mar building Marvel reactors... <laughs> building Marvel reactors. And um, I don't know if, you ju if, you've, uh, if you've paid attention, but from the new Elvis movie, 
to the Flash, to Shazam, to the you know to, to even to Batman. Electricity is a big thing. Electrical symbols, lightning bolts, are a big thing. You see that in the Elvis logo. You see that, of course, in Shazam and and the Flash. And then, of course, DC Comics, Batman, direct current energy. And you see, I don't know if you're a sports fan, but uh, if you, Wes here from, well, Wes from, from Ground Zero and also from Conspirifact, uh, Wes and I have been talking, uh, texting each other over the Stanley Cup finals. And uh, his Colorado Avalanche beat my Tampa Bay Lightning 4-2. And uh, I was disappointed in that, but Tampa has been to the, the, the final two, year in a, two years in a row, and they've won two years in a row. This was their, their chance to win three in a row, but they, they still made it three years in a row. And so the pinnacle of the hockey world has been the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is, of course, a big lightning bolt. So from sports to movies to TV shows to comics to the Idaho National Laboratory, D.C., energy, electricity, Marvel. Look at Watchmen, Manhattan Project, portals opening up, things coming through those portals. So we talk about CERN a lot. We talk about um, other uh, similar-like facilities. They're building other CERN-like facilities around the world. Uh, and someone had, someone had actually sent me this. Uh, Mary Ducina has sent me uh, an article about a company called Siemens. Some of you might know the company called Siemens. They've announced that they're engaging in uh, early-stage research and development projects with national laboratories across the U.S., with the DOE, Department of Energy. Uh, and they're going to, I guess, uh, they got a, there's a facility that they're working with, Oak Ridge National Laboratory, you know, Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And this facility is going to build, um, I guess they're like reactors or something, so that they can create rare isotopes that have an abnormal proton to neutron ratio, things that, you know, they exist for these fractions of a second and they disappear. They want to try to create these things on Earth. According to Oak Ridge National Lab, uh, the design is to be the world's most powerful heavy ion accelerator to make these abnormal proton to neutron isotopes here on Earth. So Oak Ridge National Lab, the Idaho National Laboratory, their Marvel reactors, all the Marvel movies and others with the multiple dimensions, the idea that the atomic bomb was used to bring about uh, intentional or otherwise uh, uh, craft or things from other dimensions, uh, summoning the homunculus, the changeling, the little person, the gods, whatever. There's some really fascinating stuff. Even just the word choice indicates a deep synchro mystic thing that I just can't help but talking uh, talk about and I can't help but share with you on The Secret Teachings. There's going to be a lot more after this, so don't go anywhere. Final segment coming up. I'm Ryan Gable. rdgable at yahoo.com is the email. Stay with us. There's more after this. Listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. It's The Secret Teachings, one of the homes of the original Super Bowl analysis. 
airing exclusively five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence, David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. couple hours east-southeast of Boise, Idaho, is an incredible monument called Craters of the Moon. Looks like another world. And if you drive past Craters of the Moon, you'll find the Idaho National Laboratory. You'll also find Atomic City in Arco, Idaho. Atomic City was home to the EBR-1, the first nuclear power-generating plant. The reactor built in the uh, 1940s, 1950s, early 1950s. And a few years after it was built in Atomic City, Arco, Idaho was the first town to be powered with nuclear energy, 1955. They were powered with the uh, Borax-3 reactor, which is now at the site of the Idaho National Laboratory, which is out there just past Craters of the Moon. You can go out there and stay. There's uh, the 666 submarine. Some of you might have heard about that. I've seen that in memes before. That's, that's out there at the, the INL. But 
but they don't really promote it. Of course, it's you know it's a it's a Department of Energy facility, and but I think it's kind of like Area Fifty One. It's there's so much incredible history out there. The first nuclear reactors, the largest non-nuclear detonation, radiation experiments, animals, humans, uh, built nuclear-powered cars, nuclear-powered planes. Plus, Boise, which is a like hour and a half, hour forty-five, maybe two hours west of of west northwest of the laboratory, is home to Kenneth Arnold, who through the Oregonian newspaper and the Associated Press, uh, from his term discs, skipping on water, coined the flying saucer. And he was flying from Idaho to Oregon, and he was looking for a, for a, a, a lost plane, and he saw these craft. And he tracked them at 1,700 miles an hour, roughly, faster than craft at the time, of course, faster than the speed of sound. And he said they skipped on water like discs. And, of course, you had... His, in, his experience, the incident that he, he witnessed, was just three days after the Murray Island incident in Washington State, 1947. That was June 21st, 1947. Kenneth's experience, Kenneth Arnold's experience, was on June 24th, 1947. And then just a few days after that, Roswell. Series of incidents, 1947. We're coming up on the anniversary of Roswell again, and I wanted to get a jump start on Roswell. I wanted to get a head start by telling you that Roswell is no more the origin of the modern UFO issue than the 2017 UAP report about the Pentagon's program where they were investigating these UFOs. Military investigations go back to Project Sign, Grudge, Blue Book, and others in the late 1940s. Reports of these craft by the military go back to the 1940s in the United States, in Europe. Not just Foo Fighters, not just Ghost Rockets, but all sorts of different things like flying discs. May 1943, long before Kenneth Arnold saw those flying discs. This is from the U.S. military, an intelligence report. Discs were described as silver-colored, one inch thick and three inches in diameter. They were gliding down slowly or slowly down in a very uniform cluster. This is what they saw over Schweinfurt, Germany in 1943, the 348th U.S. Army Air Force Group bombers. The history and the investigation go back a lot further than these UAP reports. And so I have to wonder why suddenly... The government and the military are, you know, they're, they're interested in, in discussing this subject and the public is, is eating it up. But one thing that I find interesting is that uh, the, a lot of this, virtually all of it, took place up there in the Pacific Northwest, right? So this is all Washington State, Oregon, Idaho. And uh, Idaho is home to the Idaho National Laboratory and we know that the UFO has a peculiar interest in atomic energy and nuclear technology. And we know that Los Alamos, part of the Manhattan Project, was incurred upon by various UFOs. We know that there are, there are stories about Hanford, Washington, uh, where a lot of the nuclear material was eventually taken to the INL, and also Oak Ridge supposedly had these these objects sighted but but specifically Los Alamos and the, and the ones at Los Alamos are documented that they 
certainly occurred. There were UFO incursions at Los Alamos and other places. Later, nuclear missile facilities, Minute Air Force Base and others. So these things are attracted to, to nuclear energy, right? They're also attracted to uh, rockets launched by NASA, space shuttles. They're, they're attracted by, I guess, what we would call high technology. As of 2020, according to the Idaho statesman, the state of Idaho, uh, Idaho as a whole has the, quote, highest per capita UFO sightings in the country. This is also the home of, of nuclear reactors. It's the home of radiation testing. It's the home of the first nuclear-powered city, Arco, Idaho, in 1955. Idaho is the home to atomic energy as we know it. Uh, that doesn't mean Oak Ridge and Los Alamos and, 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 and Hanford don't have any you know, significance. It just means that the Idaho National Laboratory was as, or perhaps arguably, depending on what you're arguing, more instrumental in, um, in uh, creating and developing uh, nuclear technologies. The highest per capita in the country in Idaho and if you drive east uh, of Boise, Idaho, you find that Idaho National Laboratory. I think it might be more than two hours. It might be like a three-hour drive. But if you, you, you find the Idaho National Lab, you find ARCO, you find Atomic City, and you'll find a little placard, you know, one or two placards that tell you that 1961 uh, was the first uh, nuclear reactor that exploded. And that was out there in Idaho. They were doing all sorts of experiments with these nuclear reactors. They built a lot of them, actually. And I, and I, I call uh, the INL kind of like the Area 51 of Idaho. And Arco or Atomic City, these little tiny, teeny tiny towns are kind of like the Rachel Nevada of Idaho. So uh, the INL is responsible for building and testing more than 50 nuclear reactors. Uh, the INL conducted radiation experiments and, and all sorts of other things. And you find if you you investigate this if you research it uh you know that's you can go on their their website and sometimes they're in the news for little things here or there you find that uh they've recently been contracted to build something called a fission surface power system which is basically fission engines for for spacecraft and you'll find that they announced that on june 21st a few days ago actually on the the anniversary of Murray Island. And then a few days before that, they announced a program to create micro reactors, which I, I, it's pretty much the same thing. It's the same kind of a project, but they're saying it's for green energy. So they're telling the public and CNBC and other news outlets, it's for green energy, but the INL directly is telling, um, you know, their, their partners and others that this is, this is for space travel is what this is for. This is for space travel. So you read about it and you read that they're calling the reactors Marvel reactors, calling them Marvel reactors. Now, I find that interesting because of a number of Marvel movies that have come out promoting uh, the multiverse, promoting other dimensions and things like that. And then I read that the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, one of those three Manhattan Project laboratories, Oak Ridge in Tennessee, has made a partnership to build an accelerator to create rare isotopes that have abnormal proton-to-neutron ratios. According to the Oak Ridge National Laboratory on June 3rd, quote, now what is designed to be the world's most powerful heavy ion accelerator 
makes them here on earth, referring to various forms of, of uh, isotopes like magnesium-40, calcium-55, and nickel-78. And they say that they want to use this well for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, they've partnered with uh, the DOE's Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. They've partnered with a bunch of other companies, universities, stuff like that. And uh, they want to use this to study atomic uh, atomic energy, just like well, that's what the DOE does, right? They want to study just like what CERN does. Another company called Siemens has announced an early stage research and development project with the Department of Energy and the Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And some of you might remember that the Oak Ridge National Laboratory was recently investigating back in 2019 whether or not they could peer into another universe. NBC News, June 30th. So this was like three years ago today. If the mirrorverse exists, upcoming experiments involving subatomic particles could reveal it. In a series of experiments, the lady that's running the, the program is uh, planning to use the Oak Ridge National Laboratory to send a beam of subatomic particles on a 50-foot tunnel past a magnet, a very powerful magnet, and into an impenetrable wall. And they believe, quote, if the setup is just right, and if the universe cooperates, some of those particles will transform into mirror image versions of themselves, allowing them to tunnel right through the wall. And if that happens, the woman that's running this study is named Broussard, will have uncovered the first evidence of a mirror world right alongside our own. So let's recap that. In 2019, Oak Ridge National Lab is using a particle beam to penetrate a wall and to peer into another world, to peer into the mirrorverse. In 2022, pretty much three years to the, the date, three months to the three years to the month, Siemens is contracting with the Department of Energy and Oak Ridge National Lab, which a few days prior to that announcement with Siemens announced that, and this is from their website, announced that they are partnering with the um, with the uh, 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 these other laboratories uh, for uh, to create this this new uh, accelerator, a heavy ion accelerator to create abnormal proton to neutron ratio isotopes to study the universe. So very similar to what CERN's doing. So what Oak Ridge is doing, Siemens and and others, they're they're trying to understand the universe, right? They're trying to understand what CERN's, the CERN's trying to understand the, the, the subatomic world. Now, we've been able to speculate, so many people have also speculated that CERN could potentially open up a wormhole, right? Well, while everybody's been focused on CERN, Oak Ridge, which was behind the, the Manhattan Project, which people also believe, and I find it to be a very reasonable uh, assumption, Atomic bombs could easily rip a hole in space-time, or if they were controlled in a you know in a specific way, a certain a certain capacity, uh, a a black hole or something to that effect that could be controlled as a portal, something more like more complex than, but something kind of like Doctor Strange, just kind of you can open this this portal with this gold you know this gold fringe around it, just opening something to another 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 world, another dimension. Now, when Stranger Things originally came out. The Department of Energy said that what's in Stranger Things is a very real thing. In fact, you might remember U.S. Secretary of Energy 
Ernest Moniz on the Chelsea Handler show saying, I will note that we do work in parallel universes. And if you go to the energy department website, energy.gov, they tell you in 2017, they actually have a department, an energy office of science involved in studying extra dimensions. So the DOE, which is the the follow-up to the Atomic Energy Commission, the Department of Energy works in parallel dimensions. They even have an office, a Department of Energy, uh, a department in the Department of Energy, studying multiple dimensions and working with, well, you know, the Oak Ridge, all the national labs the DOE runs and working uh, in part with CERN. And now one of the DOE facilities Oak Ridge National Lab, which was instrumental in the Manhattan Project, the atomic bomb. They're constructing a heavy ion accelerator to study rare isotopes for the same reason CERN is doing the research that they're doing. They're trying to understand the universe. So if you're building a heavy ion accelerator, you're openly investigating other dimensions, other universes, or the idea of it. Oak Ridge in 2019 was studying the Mirrorverse, and that research continues today. And now the Idaho National Laboratory that we never hear about is building Marvel reactors. Can't help but think of Doctor Strange or Spider-Man and, you know, all these different dimensions and, and universes. They're building Marvel reactors, they say, for green programs, but if you go on their website... There's a press release from June 21st, which says, says they're building them for space travel. So the history of the Atomic Energy Commission and the Department of Energy and these various national laboratories, we know about Hanford and Oak Ridge and Los Alamos and Lawrence Livermore. We don't know about the Idaho National Lab. And they did most of the atomic research up there for nuclear energy, for, for energy, for, for powering homes and businesses. They built the first nuclear reactor. There was the first nuclear reactor meltdown up there. The first, uh, uh, the largest atomic bomb blast without the atomic part, the largest bomb blast without uh, the radiation, without it being an atomic weapon. They built nuclear-powered cars, nuclear-powered planes. And you can go see some of this stuff. They have it out there in the desert. It's just not, it's not well known. You drive right past it. You don't even think about it. But also in Idaho, is it's home to Kenneth Arnold, the guy that, through the newspaper in Oregon and the Associated Press coined the term flying saucers, flying discs. He said they, they skip like saucers on water. And he saw those saucers near uh, the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, uh, Washington. And in Washington is not only the, the Hanford facility, but it's also the, the home to Maury Island. The incident which took place just three days before Kenneth Arnold saw his flying discs. So I'm getting at this idea that with the Pacific Northwest and then with with Idaho in particular, they have the highest per capita rating of UFO sightings. And then you have the home of atomic energy research. And then you have a history of UFOs over nuclear facilities, whether that's Lawrence Livermore or it's Los Alamos or it's, uh, you know, Minota Air Force Base. Uh, it's Vanderbilt Air Force Base in, in California where you had the ICBM missile test. These UFOs are interested in this technology. These UFOs are interested in atomic weapons. They're interested in weapons of war. 
Maybe they're monitoring them. Maybe they're shutting them down or sabotaging them like the ICBM test. Of course, famous ICBM test um, out there in, in uh, uh, California. And you have, to, you have to wonder. I have to wonder. I have to think. What is being done at CERN? What is being done at Oak Ridge? And what is being done at the Idaho National Laboratory is not only an extension of what was done during the Manhattan Project, but it's perhaps a perfecting of what was accomplished with the Manhattan Project. Perhaps they're trying to find a way to stabilize these, these dimensional gateways. And then, you know, as Doctor Strange comes out, the, the multiverse of madness, it's a Marvel movie, the INL announces they're building Marvel reactors, mini reactors, nuclear, little mini nuclear reactors for space travel. And then unofficially in the news, it's for green energy. Oh, it's green energy. And you start to look at pop culture and you see, think about green energy, electric cars. You know, Zeus has been a symbol with his lightning bolts since the Super Bowl earlier this year. Zeus has been a symbol in car commercials, electricity, electrical cars. Think about DC Comics, DC's Direct Current, uh, Shazam. You see various uh, ca- cartoons, uh, was like The Flash, even the new Elvis movie with the, with the lightning bolt. Uh, my hockey team, I'm from Tampa, Florida. My, 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 my Tampa Bay Lightning, they lost to the Colorado Avalanche, but they were in the Stanley Cup final three years in a row. So there's the triplicity of the lightning bolt. And you can't help but think, is there not some intention, some, some plan, some force, perhaps like Lovecraft wrote about that, speaking to man through his dreams, through creating inspirations to build CERN, to build a heavy, some kind of ex, uh, ion accelerator. Uh, so whether it's CERN or it's Oak Ridge or it's INL, like the stuff that they're building and working on, yeah, it's atomic energy. It's just, they're just trying to make it safer, but I mean, the, the history of this stuff is not only anything but safe, it's riddled with with the subject of UFOs. It's riddled with UAPs. It, it's riddled with investigations. It's riddled with, with military planes going missing. It's, it's riddled with, with all these incredible things that we don't hear about because we're just, oh, it's the UAP report. That's going to give us the disclosure because it's not. I mean, the modern UFO investigation being handled by the Pentagon and supposedly by Congress did not begin with the ATIP program. It goes back to Project Sign, Project Grudge, and Project Blue Book starting in around the late 1940s. Recent reports from the U.S. military, the Pentagon, date back to at least the Second World War, Foo Fighters and things like Ghost Rockets. But even after that, uh, stories, uh, U.S. Army Air Force reporting flying discs long before Kenneth Arnold. Boise native who found those uh, discs flying near Mount Rainier in 1947. In fact, June 24th of 1947, which predates Roswell. And uh, not only was Roswell predated by Arnold's experience, Arnold's experience was predated three days before at Murray Island in Washington state. This big object exploded over the water there's several different objects circling a bigger object. It exploded over the water. And if you, you put these pieces together, you've got Kenneth Arnold from Boise, Idaho. You've got Murray Island in Washington State. And you've got Mount Rainier and, and also um, uh, a whole mountain range that includes Mount Rainier, where you've got these objects that 
that he saw and reported to an Oregon newspaper when he landed in Pendleton, Oregon. So you've got the whole Pacific Northwest and just a little bit east of there, you've got Idaho, Boise, Idaho, a state that today is the highest has it has a state that has the highest per capita of any other state, the highest per capita rating of UFO sightings. Now, knowing that these objects have traditionally been attracted to national laboratories during the Manhattan Project and after nuclear missile silos, ICBM missile tests, and also rocket tests from NASA at Cape Canaveral, even shuttle tests later on, it makes a lot of sense that Idaho would be home to a lot of this lore, considering that it's also home to the Idaho National Laboratory. And now the Idaho National Laboratory has been contracted to build micro-reactors for space travel, The mainstream media says, hey, it's for energy, green energy. But if you read the INL press release, they say it's for NASA. They've been contracted by NASA to build these things for space travel, particularly for trips to the moon, which is, in my opinion, the name of the reactor, Marvel, is kind of a synchro-mystical connection because of the comic book movies, Marvel movies like Spider-Man and Doctor Strange that deal with multidimensional travel the very realm in which many believe the UFO originated during the Trinity bomb test and subsequent bombings of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, even nuclear bomb tests. The Germans had a a de facto nuclear bomb called the disintegration bomb. And several pilots and members of um, the military in other countries uh, knew about this. It's in the U.S. National Archives. They were very worried about the about the German government getting access to nuclear weapons. If you want to read about this, you can find it all in my book, The Technological Elixir, at the secretteachings.info. That's the only place it's legitimately available. That's just one piece of the book, but there's a whole story about the, uh, the atomic bomb history and uh, modern ufology, and there a lot of this stuff's in the book. So the idea that Trinity or other nuclear bombs were these basically these things that would rip open a hole in space-time or that they were alchemical experiments. It's like atomic alien theory, basically. And uh, just a few years after that, you had Murray Island, you had Kenneth Arnold, you had Roswell, 1947, the anniversary of which we're coming up on. But again, it's a series of stories about flying disks that were coming about long before the first atomic bomb was detonated officially. Uh, again, the Germans had detonated them in the early 40s, the disintegration bombs, which maybe those triggered some dimensional rift, some dimensional gateway to open, which is interesting enough because, you know, on the surface, that's fascinating. But if you go beyond it, supposedly the Germans had uh, groups that were working to channel new technologies from otherworldly beings, the famous Vril Society. So like the movie Contact, they maybe they channeled the, the, the blueprint to build these weapons and then at the end of the war, when the war was essentially lost, last minute, the atomic bomb couldn't save Germany, they made a deal to exchange those technologies, uh, including the trigger, the, the trigger for the bomb, which is this, that's official. I think the guy's name was um, Schlick. He's a German scientist who built the trigger for the bomb. And they traded that uh, on a U-boat with the U.S. government. That's pretty well documented. Uh, they uh, enriched uh, uh, uranium, and uh, two fighter jets, and uh, the the guy that built the the fuses, the switches for the bombs, when 
U.S. officials, uh, U.S. scientists were not able to produce enough enriched uranium or produce, uh, you know, the, the triggers for the bombs. And they got that from the Germans. And then on top of all of that fascinating history, um, the Germans actually had a plan. And there's pictures of this. There's there's uh, an article in the Washington Post years ago. These these giant planes called Ju three nine zero, I believe they were. The Germans planned to fly those things from Western France to New York and drop an atomic bomb on New York City. It's not speculation or conspiracy theory. That's real history. It's in real newspapers. And there's even pictures of these these massive planes. And uh, they actually did fly. They flew one of those planes to uh, basically the skyline of New York, photographed it, and flew back. And the late journalist Jim Mars documented in, in his books, and he, when he was alive, I, I had asked him to send me the, the, uh, the, the print of it, the scan of it, and he did a proximity report on an atomic bomb blast detonating a nuclear weapon over New York City. And the, and the, uh, the, the magnitude of that explosion was precisely the same. I forget the exact number, like 17 kilotons or something. I, I might be very wrong on that, but it was something like that. It was the same exact load that was then dropped on Japan. Same exact load. And I think it was Oppenheimer. He, he said that the bomb was a, a bomb of German providence. So not only is there an interesting history there, but if the Germans detonated those things first and we got these UFO sightings and flying discs in Germany, in Schweinfurt, in 1943, according to the U.S. Army Air Force, before Murray Island, before Kenneth Arnold, before Roswell, and before the Trinity bomb, you've got an interesting history that ties together now the Idaho National Lab, you know, the DOE, the Atomic Energy Commission, with their new Marvel micro-reactors for space travel when you got all these comic book movies from Marvel dealing with space travel, multidimensional uh, 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 wormholes, travel uh, through those wormholes, those gateways. And then in parallels, Oak Ridge National Laboratory publicly working on breaking into the Mirrorverse in 2019, now building an ion accelerator to conduct similar research to what's going on at CERN. We follow along with the mainstream narrative and the alternative narrative that, you know, the, 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 the buzzwords of Blue Book and Roswell, and that's all that matters. And it, it does matter, but there's a lot more than that. Even going back to the German atomic bomb program, and maybe that's what triggered this rift to open and these things to come through, although they've been around for a long, long, long time. Maybe they were summoned, maybe, maybe Beans gave the Germans technology through the Viral Society, and it was kind of like the Lovecraftian old ones working through them to produce technology that would help open the gates and uh, uh, break open the, the doorways to our world. Just something to think about tonight. Or maybe in the morning, whenever and wherever you're listening around the world. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Thank you so much for tuning in. www.thesecretteachings.info is the website. If you don't support us, we're not here. We have no sponsors. Nobody pays us. We make our money off of subscriptions and book sales. It's not a lot a month, maybe $1,200 max. But it's enough to get us by. So please subscribe. Please grab a copy of one of the books. If you donate $40... I'm giving away yearly subscriptions. That's a whole year, yearly subscriptions still, because um, you know some people have, uh, have taken us up on that, and I, I want to help give you the cheapest price possible for the Secret Teachings Archive. Clyde's Archive is a little different. You'll have to subscribe to that separately. Check that out on, uh, check that out on Ground Zero and at Aftermath. 
Otherwise, email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Check out our affiliate sponsors, Pro One Water Filters, the Tuttle Twins, and Transistor FM, the company that helps sponsor our archive. They allow us to, to use their, their service. And uh, go to the website, scroll through it, check out what we've got coming up, what we've had in the past. Uh, and even if you're not a subscriber, there's an archive there to listen to the show. You just have to listen to those advertisements. Otherwise, stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. We'll talk to you on the next broadcast. I think we have Jared Murphy coming up tomorrow. We're going to talk about ancient civilization and some recent findings around the world that uh, really change our history, perhaps. Again, this is The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. We'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Music.